Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Lit Up. This episode, we have a controversial figure, and some of you may be angry that he's on, some of you might be excited. It's James Fry. Now, you might remember him from the Oprah controversy. Well, the controversy was really about his book, A Million Little Pieces, and the fact that he said it was a memoir, but some of the things in it were found to be not true. I really did enjoy his new novel, Katerina. It's a pretty sexy book. It's set between Los Angeles, current day Los Angeles, and Paris back in 1992. So it's very evocative. It's about a young man. It's kind of a coming of age story in Paris. And then it it's juxtaposed with this successful writer type who lives in L.A., pretty much like James himself. So I think you'll be able to extrapolate a lot of things from our conversation. Um, I really do recommend the book. So for this episode with James, we recorded at his publishers. Now, the train subway situation in New York is an ongoing problem, controversy. You know, when mayors are elected, people are, all we care about is who is going to fix the subway system. So I left at least, I think, an hour to get from Brooklyn to just by the Rockefeller Center, actually, where we were doing this interview, and I was dreadfully late. I was stuck in a subterranean tunnel, you know, sweating, thinking, how could I be late for my for my guest? He was very gracious, and we ended up having a great time, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I read that you wrote this in four months. Yeah. So you just write it. Is there much editing? I feel like this one was a real... There's none. So it's the first draft. Uh, we copy edited it. No, nothing else. Um, Megan can verify I have it in all my publishing contracts that the books can't be touched. So you get what... I, I sort of jokingly use this silly phrase that parents use with their young children that you get what you get and you don't get upset. Um, but yeah, it's the first draft. I wrote it fast. Um, we, we copy edited it, fixed missing words and typos. But beyond that, um, it's, it's the first draft. With your other books, has it been the same process? So four of the five, My Friend Leonard, Bright Shiny Morning, um, Final Testament in this were all one draft books. We edited a million little pieces and um, you know the, the editing process contributed to the later controversy. So after that, I was like, never again, nobody touches them. I mean, I think that's obviously why they feel so immediate as well because they're not kind of squished into something else. Is that part of it too? Uh, I don't know. I mean, part of editing it is 
I believe I have figured out how to write in a way that is um, singular in that if you read something that I write you'll and you've ever read anything I've written before, you'll know it's me, right? Um, and I do weird things with structure and architecture and I do weird things with how I lay out the words and, um, and the rhythms of the words that I use. I use always an unconventional grammar system that's just sort of my own thing um, so it's hard I think to edit them even if you wanted to like you can't apply conventional editing onto a book that rejects conventionality mm-hmm. right I also don't want to read them and I don't want to do any more work on them when they're done like it's done is it even hard going through this process now of having to talk about the book um, well, you're the first interview I'm doing, so it's not hard today. <laughs> yeah. um, I always sort of jokingly say, like, writers, or at least me, by nature, uh, um, I'm a solitary person, right? I'm, I'm happiest alone. I'm happiest alone in a room. Um, and then we get sort of thrust out or into this um, thing where we we have to be extroverts, right? Like... I'll go to an event tonight, and um, I know I'm there to put on a show for whoever shows up. Um, they're not coming to see sort of quiet, staid, pensive James Fry. They're there to see a snarling, swearing, you know, leather pants wearing motherfucker. Have you got your leather pants ready? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> um, and 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 uh, it's part of the job, right? Like writing the book is part of the job, but everything else is part of the job too. And I dig the job; it's fun. So it's not hard to switch from those parts of yourself. I mean, the hardest part about touring is the lack of time alone, right? You go from place to place, from city to city, basically a new city every day and you're always around people. Um, and you're always talking, right? And sometimes I just don't wanna talk. I mean, I, I'm, always, I, I'm always ready for the events. You know, you go and, and, you, and, and I take the events seriously. Like the people who show up at the events are the people who pay my bills, right? Literally, they buy the books um, and they pay my bills. And, and I respect the fact deeply that they spend their time and their money with what I do. And, and so I try to make sure that I show them um, respect and love and I, I, I sign everybody's book, I personalize every book, I try to have a conversation with everybody there. Um, it's tiring, it's also pretty fun. I haven't done it in a long time, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go back out and, and, and have fun and probably see booksellers that I've known for a long time. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be cool. I, I and I dig the book. Like, um, I do too. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reading it. Yeah, I read it on a plane, which I sometimes think is the the place where I can access emotions in a dark space. You know, and I wasn't expecting to read it because it was on my iPad, you know, and you have all the covers on there. And I don't really love reading on an iPad, but I was on a plane and I thought, okay, let's go. And I read it in one sitting and 
it felt, well, I guess we should explain a little bit that it goes back and forth between um, Los Angeles and Paris. Um, but it felt like me, a book about consequences. Yeah, it's a book about consequences. It's a book about love and mm. and dreams and art and sex and um, ambition and pain and consequences. Um, it definitely made me remember the the wanting to be an artist so badly and wanting to change the world and blow things up. And I missed that. I remembered her for me and I feel like that's what... You had your own Katarina? Yeah. And I had my own Jay of like wanting to feel so much and wait and wanting to get away from a world that I didn't feel was feeling anything. And... Um, and that's not to say where I'm from is a bad place, but for me, I wasn't accessing all the things that I had read in books, the feelings I'd read in books, like the love. I was like, where's the love? Where is that pain? Um, when did you have that experience in Paris? Did you go there? Yeah, I ran off to Paris when I was 21. Um, yeah, I ran off to Paris to 21 to be at 21 to be a famous writer, and and I was there for just over a year. Um, I lived on Rue Saint Placide, Dizuit, Rue Saint Placide, um, and uh, yeah, I I fucking tore it up. I, I remember I got there and I couldn't believe that it existed. I'd read books. I'd read Tropic of Cancer, which is what lit me up and made me go. Um, but by the time I got there, I had read Baudelaire and Rimbaud and Hugo, and um, I had read, you know, The Lot to Hemingway and Fitzgerald and those dudes. And so I had a lot of very romantic ideas about what Paris would be. And I got there and, and it exceeded all of them um, to just walk, right? To step out your door and walk. And, and, and everywhere you went, there was beauty and food and art and beautiful girls and, um, and wonders, right? You walk into the Louvre alone with nothing to do but walk around and look at shit. And you can just have your mind blown. And, and as much time as you spend in there, you're always going to find something else that, that wrecks you, right? That you can't believe exists. And, and you can do that in the Louvre, you can do that in the Dorsey, um, you can do that in Le Centre Pompidou, you can do it in Musée Picasso, you can do it just walking down the fucking street, right? Seeing food in the window and you're like, God, that looks good. God, there's nothing I want more in the world than that, right? To sit at a coffee shop and watch people walk by, to walk into a bar, sit alone, and get drunk and, and watch people to sit in a park and read a book um, it was magnificent and I was young and free and insane and ambitious and I just wanted to feel and look and touch and read and have my heart beat faster and have my heart broken 
um, yeah, so I did it. And coming home, what was that transition like? Transition back to America? Yeah. So I went from Paris to London. I was in London for a few months, and I came home from there um, and moved to a small town in North Carolina. Um, and uh, and I, I started smoking crack, which I had smoked before I went to Paris, and I went to rehab pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, listen, I love America for all of its beauty and horror and, and magnificence and idiocy, um, but we're a young, immature, insane country, and it's not the sort of glory and and old magnificence of France, of Paris, you know? Like when you walk even down the street next to the Louvre, much less going into it, and you think about the simple fact that that was some motherfucker's house, <laughs> right? That was the king's house. That was just one of them. This is the nicest one and the biggest one, but it was still some dude's house. Um, and everything in it was his, right? It's like, fuck, man. Why decide to kind of access that time now? Uh, because I'm old enough to look back, right? I'm old enough to look back at it and remember it. Um, people ask why I write a book at a certain time, right? Why did you write that book? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just... I don't have any answer because I wanted to. Writing's a, an odd and interesting and an unexplainable process, right? You sit in front of whatever it is you use, whether it's paper and a pen or a computer, and and you put words down one after another and, and something shows up. Um, I feel like I carry books around with me, right? I don't use outlines. Um, I just feel like I have books inside me, and at a certain point I decided that it's time to write one of them. Um, and, you know, a year and a half ago or so, I, I was, like, tired of what I was doing. I was depressed. I was um, unhappy, and there's no reason I should have been. Mm. Right? Like, I've had so many blessings in my life. I have literally nothing to complain about. But, but I still, you know, felt awful. Um, and it sounds corny-ass writer bullshit, but I talked to my agent, and, and he was like, dude, you got to write a fucking book. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the book, and I know it's not... I don't know if it's meant to be significant or not, but I laughed having spent so much time in LA and to have an agent, you know, like a big agent sit, you know, sit down at the pool with you and actually tell a writer to go write a book instead of, you know, the franchise, this and that and that. I was like, oh, he was in a bad place if his agent is telling him to go write a book, like a literary book, you know? Yeah, it was go write your book. And it was slightly more complicated than that. I have a, I have a shrink I talk to sometimes. I don't, I don't have a regular schedule with them like a lot of people do. I just call them when I feel like it, right? Um, 
And he was like, listen, man, here's, here's the simple reality. And we have a very blunt, very direct relationship. He, he was like, here's the simple reality is you have become somebody you, you would have made fun of. Um, he was like, when I met you, you would have made fun of who you are now. Like living in Connecticut in the woods in your house and working in Hollywood. He was like, you would have taunted you and mocked you ruthlessly and without remorse. And he was like, the problem is um, you, you, you forgot who you are. Like, you're not built to, right, happy, sweet things for mass consumption. You're built to try to do what you used to try to do, which is, you know, burn the world down with the buck. He was like, go do it. And I just was like, I don't know if I can. He said, well, go try. And I started writing, and it felt good, so I just kept going, and, and, I, and I wrote it fast. It was good. It was fun. And once I started, I realized how much I missed it, right? Um, and the book's about that, right? I kind of found myself once in Paris when I was 21, and I found myself again at 47 writing this book. So after you, your agent and your shrink kind of get real with you, what is the time frame kind of between those conversations and sitting down and looking at that blank screen? Pretty quick. A couple hours. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 I printed out some pictures, right? I printed out a picture of um, Henry Miller, of Baudelaire, of Rimbaud of Auguste Rodin, of marvelous Marvin Hagler, a big picture of the gates of hell. Um, I printed out this funny Winnie the Pooh thing that I saw once. It's like, hey, Pooh, what do you want to do today? Pooh's like, I want to burn this motherfucker down. <laughs> um, and I put him on the wall, one of the walls of my desk, in my, of my office, and then I, I put... Uh, I printed another sign right in front of the desk that just said, bear your fucking soul. Taped that up on the wall, and I went. How long had it been since you'd done that? A long time. Like, the last book I wrote, I wrote in 2010, right? The Final Testament of the Holy yeah. Bible. I wrote in 2009 and 2010, so it had been seven years. And in the, in the book, there's a small moment where you talk about, well... Jay had received a letter from a fan. Um, yeah, I got that letter. Tell us what was in that letter, and did you put it up around you? Um, so I, 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 I got a, a note from, on Facebook from somebody who was like, I just read all your books, and, and you talk about in them how you don't believe in God, but you actually do. Um, you actually do, you just don't understand how to believe in it, right? Mm. And I thought about it and I thought the person might be right. Um, and so I also started going to church. Most of the time when I was writing this book, I went to church every day, um, not to services, not um, to sort of church sanctioned events. I would go to church in the morning before I went to work and just sit there in the church alone for like 20 minutes and, and just, um, sometimes I would, you know, just sit there, 
not talk. Sometimes I would sit there and, you know, in churches and the pews, they always have copies of the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. The church I went to, it's an Episcopal church. Sometimes I would open one of those books and look at them. Sometimes I would say prayers. Sometimes I would just talk. Um, it, it just calmed me down. I, I don't at any time have necessarily fixed beliefs. I don't know the answers to any of this shit. Um, but walking into a big, empty, dark church calmed me down. I don't know if that's the letter you're talking about, but... Yeah, it is. And I just, I wondered whether these spaces, like whether we... I mean, no one has answers, right? Even when people say they have finite beliefs, we can't prove it. But I was thinking about these spaces we go to ponder what the hell we're doing here. Um, I don't know, they feel good sometimes. Yeah, a church, a museum, a park, right? Sitting in front of water of any kind, river, lake, ocean, whatever. Um, yeah. You ever read that book, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse? Yeah. Right? Like the end is the greatest ending ever. Just Siddhartha sits by the river and watches it go by. It's what Henry Miller does, the end of Tropic of Cancer. Just sits by the river, sits by the sun and watches it go by. Um, and you can kind of do that in a lot of places. Well, it makes me think another part in the book where you talk about art and how with things we love and art we love, we don't try and put them in a category like fiction, nonfiction, you know, impressionist, this. And I don't know, it kind of feels the same as like going into these spaces without knowing anything and just like letting art be art or letting God be God or not God. That might be too heavy for me to contemplate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was writing about art, you know, I, 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 I have always been drawn to art that fucked shit up, right? And to people who made things that were problematic and that were misunderstood and that um, changed everything that came after them, right? Um, so you look at Rembo, you know, a 19-year-old drug-addicted fuck-up wandering the streets of Paris who, who writes these two books that are unlike anything anybody's ever seen, right? And, and they were, you know, hated and beloved. And, and you can say that about um, a lot of things. Rodin, Baudelaire, Henry Miller... Um, so many of the things I, 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 that drew me to Paris to begin with. Manet. Um, and so when I used to go into museums, I always sought that stuff out, right? When I go to um, the Musée d'Orsay in Paris, which I write a lot about in the book, and the section you're talking about is, is I'm walking, or the character is walking through the, the Musée d'Orsay going to see Olympia, the painting by Manet. And I would go see it just because I wanted, I wanted to just know it simply because it fucked the world up, right? I, I, in, in the book, I talk about wanting to burn the world down and all the shit that I love did it, right? 
everybody I just mentioned in some way burned the world down, right? They made things that people had to deal with, right? They, they made things that were unlike anything that came before them and altered the course of everything that came after them. Um, and so when I was young and in Paris and after I left and came back, um, that was always the goal. It wasn't to write books that were beloved, right? It wasn't to write books that, um, that got uniformly wonderful reviews. Um, it was to write shit that caused problems, that, that made people take a position, that made people have an opinion, that made people either love them or hate them. Um, I mean, even with this book so far, we've gotten wildly divergent reviews. And um, like the, 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 the wonderful reviews don't make me think I'm the fucking king of the world. And the bad reviews don't make me think that I'm terrible, right? Like, that's what I want. I, I, there was a review in England recently that was just brutal. And I just read it and laughed. I was like, it's not, it's, it's great. The fact that I made this guy write this, <laughs> that whatever I did in that book made him feel such deep hatred is, is great. Um, I think maybe people decide how they want to feel before they even read your books. And then... Sure, yeah, for sure. Which but is I also know, part I know of that it. too. I mean, I said when I first came to Simon & Schuster and we were talking about, you know, how we were going to release it and what the strategy was going to be, I was like, listen, here's what's going to happen. Half the reviews will be magnificent and half the reviews will be just awful. And everybody sort of laughed, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the like, book's so good, everybody's going to love it. And I was like, no, they're not. There are going to be a whole bunch of people who hate it. Um, and that's what's happened so far, and that's awesome. The, pro the, 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 the problem will be when people can shrug it off, right? When I can't do that anymore. When I write a book that people are just like, well, that was boring. Um, that didn't make me feel anything. Um, the goal is always to make you feel. The goal is to put words together and tell a story in a way that makes you feel deeply. And I don't care what that is. Did you feel it was time to write into, you know, the big scandal with a million little pieces? Like, had you avoided writing about that before and it was... No, I mean, there's a little section in Bright Shiny Morning that could be considered related to it. I hadn't avoided it. I, I just, I did other stuff. Like, I wrote a big book about L.A. I wrote a book about God. I did other things. Um... It's not even really part of this book. Um, the only time I address it is maybe in a half page long yeah, section. Yeah, it, it's in this book a lot. <laughs> I feel, I don't know, I felt like it, but that's why I really. I mean, the spirit of it, like burning the world down is, is a, you know, something I come back to again and again and again and again in this book, right? Like as a 21 and your 21 year old in Paris, I didn't want to be a writer who, like I said earlier, was was beloved, 
I didn't want to be um, somebody that was easy to like, right? I wanted to be the most notorious, most controversial writer on the fucking planet. Um, that was the goal from the, the moment I started, um, to be Baudelaire or Rimbaud or Henry Miller, right? To be, to be, to write books that, that were divisive and, and force people to go one way or the other. Um, and you know, the story of A Million Little Pieces is, is interesting. I, I wrote the book. There was a lot of trying to figure out what it was by the publisher before it came out. It was decided to release it one way. Um, you know, I went out and, and did the PR the way I was told to do it, and 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 it and it backfired. But it 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 didn't affect me the way a lot of people think. Mm. Um, I was very uncomfortable with with the level of fame I I had at one point. Um, the book was selling literally hundreds of thousands of copies a week, and I, I would walk down the street and people would stop me and point at me and take my picture and a lot of stuff. And, and I felt some responsibility to be cool about it, but it made me deeply uncomfortable, right? Earlier I said, like, I'm a pretty reclusive, solitary person. Um, and you never become a writer thinking anybody's ever gonna recognize you on the street. And I remember going to this, this shrink that I mentioned earlier during that time. That's when I first met him. And I went and, and I said, like, this isn't what was supposed to happen, right? I wasn't supposed to go on TV and be loved by everyone. The goal was to write the most controversial book in, in the world. And then when it all sort of went south and blew up, I, I remember I walked in there and I sat down and he was like, how's it going, man? I was like, yeah, it's been kind of weird, been surreal. And he sort of laughed and he goes, well, you got what you wanted. Mm -hmm. How's it feel? I was like, I don't know. I don't know yet. And 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 that experience was thrilling and terrifying and um, and fun and not fun at all. Um, but I did get what I wanted, right? I had a book published in forty-two languages. That at this point, has sold ten million copies, and is you know most controversial book of the last however long I don't know I also feel like it changed publishing didn't it like it I mean so many people I get to chat to we're talking about their novels and I'm doing quotes now and everything I mean it's it nobody is publishes mobile no nobody publishes a memoir without a disclaimer anymore right people are very clear about or not about what things are Right? They, they're either very clear about what they are or they lay these disclaimers in that allow them great freedom within the, um, the genre of nonfiction memoir, right? And that gets back to what you were asking me before, like about breaking rules and about art that is hard to understand and um, that isn't like anything that came before it. And I can't say like that there haven't been a lot of other writers who do what I do, which is work in this sort of gray area. 
it's not really fiction and it's not really nonfiction, right? It's something in between those things. So we sort of laugh. If I write a million little pieces, right, and I use my real name in it, um, everybody reads it and just wants to figure out what in it isn't true. If I write Katerina and I use the name Jay, um, literally everybody asks me, well, what in it is true, right? And the point is it doesn't fucking matter that, that they're the same thing. They're just a story that may come from my life in some way, but not even may, that does. Um, but that also I, I say I have the right to alter, manipulate, change, enhance, or not in any way I fucking please. And that these rules don't matter to me. I don't give a shit if somebody thinks it's fiction or somebody thinks it's nonfiction or they don't understand why it can't really not be either one of them. I don't care if, about using traditional grammar or laying out the words on the page in a traditional way. None of that matters. Um, all that matters is when you engage with it, does it make you feel something, right? Um, and if it does, then I win. definitely force me to feel or to remember what it's like to be in love. Good. So, yeah, which was, I just want to say that because it's we're like sounding like it's like heavy and everything's fucked up and everything, but it's... No, mostly it's about love it's and sex. Mostly, yeah, and so fun and like remembering... Like getting to relive being in your 20s and falling in love for the first time, really, and getting to kind of play adult for the first time and kind of think of, I don't know, you know, when you... Re, you no, when you're young, you have all the adult um, privileges without any adult responsibilities, right? You can sleep wherever you want. You can drink whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Um but you haven't settled into life yet. You probably, at least I didn't have very many bills. I didn't have a house. I didn't have, you know, all this shit. I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. And I did. It's also fun to tap back into the fantasy of those people we had at those times, which is what happens here, you know, getting, you know, that the opening of getting a message on Facebook from someone who kind of knows stuff about you. And then it, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, obviously they have known each other and there's this kind of real connection. But I found it so fun to kind of go back into my own life, like with those, who those people were. And Yeah, I think most people have somebody in their life that they wonder about. We love the memories we have, even though they hurt. Yeah. Um, and I had somebody like that in my life and I've always wondered where she is and what she's doing and how, how it went and, and um, the reality is I haven't ever heard from her right 
Um, I don't know where she is. I don't know what she's doing. But I sort of used that as a jumping off point for the book. What would it be like if I heard from her? In my old age, what would it be like? What would we talk about? How would it go? Um, I think I think very few people marry their first love or end up spending their life with their first love. And we all wonder. And I do too. And so I wrote a book about it. And I wrote a book about not just what it would be like to hear from that person in, in today's world, but what that love actually was at the time when it happened. I like it when she asks, oh, how many times did you fall in love at first sight? Right. And for him, it's four. I think the first time he says a couple million. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. Right. Which is true, too. For I always, yeah, and then you kind of, I mean, we fall in love or whatever that is with so many people when we see them. But I guess only a few of them you then get to know and really fall in well, love I th- with. I think you walk down the street and you'll be, you, you'll, you're interested or your curiosity is peaked or whatever. You see people and you think about them, right? Even if it's for a second. Oh, I like that person. I wonder who they are. And then they move along and so do you. I think sometimes you you see somebody in some situation and it, at least for me I have seen people in situations and you're 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 it it's it's a dumb analogy but like lightning strikes. You can't believe it. You can't it, you're just you it something tags you, something hits you. Um it's pretty badass. It's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. I just read Less by, is it Andrew Sean Greer? Yeah, I just read Less too. Did you just read it too? I and did. it made me think it was fun to kind of read them around the same time because I was thinking about as you get older and how much we kind of buffer ourselves from that lightning love. And Less is in a in a in a very weird way, Less is a, a very it's not at all like Katarina, but it's also very much like Katarina. It's about a an aging writer coming to terms with the loves of his life. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I've met him before. He's a super cool, nice, smart, funny dude. Um, and I love the book. For two books about the similar subject, they probably couldn't be much more different no, I know, than each but- other. But it's a great book. Yeah. Or just, it's fun to look back. I mean, isn't kind of writing a way to make sense of stuff? For sure. I've done that a lot. To make sense of what you think and what you feel. Um, well, I mean, is that why kind of once it's out, you don't need to shape it anymore? I just, I, I don't want, I don't read my own books because I don't want to I don't want I think it would be I think it's weird to like sit there and read your own book I don't ever want to be the dude who like spends his time when reading his own that, book when you do that your therapist is really gonna like have some harsh words um, I don't want to read it and 
think about what I should have done differently. I, I don't want to read it and be disappointed. Um, they're done, right? I don't know any painters who go stand in front of their paintings and gaze upon them after yeah. they're finished, right? You make a painting and you move on. I don't know any architects who like park in front of houses they've built and stare at them. It's just like I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable reading my own books. And um, once I'm done, they're, they're, they're not mine anymore, right? They're mine when, when I'm writing them. But once they're done, they're not mine. They're, they're for whoever wants, whoever wants them. Are there other books that you've written like this that haven't gone out into the world? Have I ever written any books that haven't yeah. been published? Yeah. Um, I've thrown books away. Yeah. Yeah, There's there was a couple books that a couple ended up in the bottom of the sand. Um, there was a book that ended up in Lake Michigan. Um, there's a fragment. There's like half a book that I still have on my computer that I wrote probably five years before A Million Little Pieces came out. It has the dumbest title in the history of the world. What is it? You have to tell us. It's called The Wind Howls Ha. <laughs> like, so dumb. You heard it here first. <laughs> I have gone back and read that, and it just made me laugh. Like, I can see what I was trying to do. I just didn't know how to do it. I ultimately did figure out how to do it. Um, it's a funny, weird, dumb book. Is it nice sometimes to like think of that that guy? I, I have very romantic idea uh, memories of like the process of becoming a writer, a book writer. It was a long process, right? I, I started trying to do it when I was twenty one, and a million little pieces came out when I was thirty two. Um, so it wasn't quick or easy, or I wasn't one of these people who could s sit down and write a book at a young age. Um, it took me a long time to figure it out, and I loved the process of figuring it out. I lived in Chicago for a while and worked in bars as a doorman, and I would work from eight at night till four in the morning, and I would walk home, uh, and I was usually pretty jacked on caffeine, and, and then I would write, and I would go to sleep at like, you know, two in the afternoon, and I'd wake up at 7.30 and go back to work. And I loved that. It was monastic and simple and very lonely and amazing. I had no money. Nobody gave a fuck about what I did. Um, the only person who, I, who thought I could do to, to write books that people would read was me. Um, but I was really happy. Um, and every time I write a book, I try to find that place of solitude and loneliness and freedom and ambition and, and, and to remember that I don't have to give a fuck when I sit down in front of that machine. Just get the right, get the next word right. I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it? When you have success to try, like, to get back to that 
place. I, it's never think? been trouble for me. Oh, okay. I mean, it, it's it's um, like success. Like there there's things in the Tao Te Ching, right? Success and failure. There's no difference, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have huge success or you fail over and over again. That the point is to do what makes your heart sing. And I love to sit in a room by myself and and listen to music and put words next to each other and tell a story with them. Um, it makes me deeply happy. And it made me deeply happy then and it makes me deeply happy now. The trappings that surround me are probably a lot different. Um, but it still just makes me happy. I still listen to the same music. I still wear the same dumb clothes. I still swear and and I still believe in the same things that you can do whatever you want. You don't have to follow rules. You don't have to follow conventions. You don't have to live up to anybody's expectations that you can just make something for the sake of making it. You can write something for the sake of doing it. Um, and then whatever happens when you're done happens. I enjoyed reading from a, your, you know, Jay's perspective, your perspective, like about sex and things. And I was like, this is one of the sexiest books I've read in so long. I love this. And thanks. Yeah. I was like, oh, why are we, why is everyone avoiding writing about the best thing we can all do in the whole world? I've had people say, like, I, w I wish you wrote about sex more like a woman. And I'm like, well, how the fuck do I do that? Like, I don't know how a woman thinks about this shit. All I know is how I think about it. I can remember like what was said and try to get that right. I can remember what we did and describe it. Um, again, like I, I, I'm, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Um, I think it's okay for people to be whoever they are. You know, whether that's a man, a woman, whether that's gay, straight or other. Um, we're allowed to be whoever we are and we're allowed to express ourselves however we want. Um, and it's cool. Well, and also like sex isn't like you're really not in the other person's head when you're having it. You're in your own head. I don't know. So I just think they're interesting no, I, conversations. I, 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 sh I, I shudder to think about being in someone else's head <laughs> during... Um, <laughs> It might be magnificent. It might be deeply embarrassing, right? But yeah, we, m most people love to fuck, right? Very simply, that the, the sex is a big part of our lives. And in America, particularly, we live in a very repressed sexual culture um, where we're not supposed to talk about it or be open about it or, or we're told that um, having sex with other people is wrong in some way. Um, and it's not. It's the most base. After eating and breathing, I think it's the most base instinct we have. Um, and sometimes sex comes with love and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and the relationship that I write about in the book was very sexual. And that's okay. It was awesome. And, and there's no reason to be embarrassed by it. Um, just like if you were writing a book about 
a sexual relationship you had with somebody, however you interpret it and however you choose to express it and however you remember it, great. I'm not going to tell you anything about it except cool. I hope it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wish there were more... If more people wrote about it, I just feel we'd just have more examples of everything we need to read about, you know. Anyway, that's kind of off off the track. Let me just see because I feel like, oh, my gosh, we've been chatting for ages. Um, I guess my... Okay, do you still hate emojis? <laughs> do I hate emojis? I don't hate emojis. I just don't really know how to use them. Like I have a 13-year-old daughter who constantly sends me emojis and I try to send them back and she's like, dad, what are you doing? Like I don't send the right ones. So I send ones that mean the wrong things. So she'll understand what I'm trying to do, but I somehow sent the wrong emoji. I just use words, right? I'm a dude who uses words. I love words. I love putting words next to each other. Um, and, and the language of emoji is one that I am not fluent in. <laughs> Do you often go back to Paris to, to get back into that uh, part not, of yourself? Not, not that frequently. I, I always go back when the books come out. Um, I don't go back that often. I wish I went more. I miss it. It's still like the place in the world where I feel most comfortable. You know, I get there and I'm like, yeah, this is this is right. Um, I certainly think about it a lot. And it's always there. It's changed a lot, like New York. Like a lot of cities, it's become much, much richer, much, much safer, much, much more boring. Um, but the Louvre is always there and the Dorsey is always there and the Seine is always there. And the gray streets and buildings are always there the drizzle the drizzle's always there if you go the right time of the year <laughs> everybody likes the sun in paris i like it when it's gray in the book though your character meets his wife and i i found a really interesting the contrast between the the love of meeting you know a woman that you know you want to marry and the kind of past relationship that's like filled with pain and torturous. And I feel that, I don't know if it's getting older, but there's a point where we're like, we want to have healthy relationships or we just meet someone who gives, is a healthy person in kind of that way and lets us be that part of ourselves. Like, was that ever a struggle? Like to want to like blow things up again with people? No. Like I'd had enough, by the time I got married, I'd had enough pain, right? It doesn't mean you don't, I don't still feel plenty of it, but um, there were relationships that I had before I was married where I may have deeply, deeply, deeply loved the person I was with, but I also knew that I, I wouldn't be able to stay with them for long periods of time because we would just destroy each other. 
Um, and then I met somebody who um, I deeply, deeply, deeply loved that I knew I could stay with for a long period of time without destroying each other. And, and I wanted to be with her. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's youth. I think that's just how it happens sometimes. Um, and, and I met her at a point in my life when I, I wanted peace. I wanted simpler things. How did it affect your relationship when a million little pieces, when all the controversy happened? Was she just your like person who was there? Obviously. I mean, like a week after that, after the Oprah where I got yelled at, um, I mean, I came home that day. I remember I, I, I came home, I was walking through the airport and I was on CNN on all the airport TVs. I was like, oh, fuck, man. And um, the publisher didn't get me a car. So I had to walk out of LaGuardia and stand in the taxi line and remember literally everybody just standing there pointing at me. And it had been a very weird day. Um, so they didn't talk to you, they just pointed? Yeah, nobody really talked to me. Um, and I got in a cab and I was coming home. I lived in Soho at the time. I was coming over, um, I think the Williamsburg Bridge and I just, and the sun was setting and I just started laughing and I got home and I walked in the door and my wife was like, wow, shitty day, huh? And I was like, yeah, shitty day. And she gave me a hug and we probably ate dinner and went to bed. I probably went and checked on my little daughter who was like one at the time. And a week later we just went to France and we stayed there for a while and then came back. And by the time I came back, it, it was, uh, I was writing another book and I kind of didn't give a fuck. Um, all that, all that really mattered was writing the next book. Isn't it interesting how, things swirl around you, but it's not, you're actually not affected by it. I mean, I'm sure you were affected by it, but. I was affected by it, but um, for sure. But, it, it, and like I said, it was equal parts, a complete dream come true and a, 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 a very surreal and unpleasant nightmare. Um, I mean, I write, a, I write about it in Katerina is you have these dreams to do these things and um, you don't understand what those dreams might cost, right? How they, how they may, what they'll take from you. Um, and writing books takes things from me. It, they, it hurts, but it's also thrilling. Um, the energy it takes to write one is it is work and there, there are certainly many jobs that are harder and more important that exist in the world but this isn't an easy one um you don't think about the cost like football players maybe it's a weird analogy football players just think i'm gonna be 
a great football player. They don't think about, well, 10 years after you're done, you're going to lose your memory and your knees are going to be shot. Um, fighters who, who I love fighters don't think about the damage they're doing to their bodies when they fight. And I sometimes think, at least in my case, I didn't understand the toll writing the kinds of books I wanted to write and, and I believe I have written would take on my soul and it takes one. I, I won't be able to do it forever. I don't know how much longer I've got. A couple more books probably. Um, but at some point I won't be able to do it because I'll be tapped out. Is that when you go and sit in the church or do why are you drawn there? To a church? Yeah. Just because it's peace. It's hard to find peace in the world. In the world we're living in today, it's increasingly difficult. I just find peace there. I can sit there and, and be calm. Do you ever talk? I mean, when you're talking, are you talking to yourself, to God or to a... Both, different times. Yeah. Yeah, I talk to God. I talk to God for sure. I, I don't, and, and there are days when I, I absolutely believe that God is listening to me. And there are days when I think I'm a fool. Um, and that's okay too. I don't think I have to have some steadfast, um, inflexible, unchangeable belief. I cannot know. Or I can believe one thing on one day and believe another thing on another day. I mean, it, it, it's a, another corny analogy. I'm full of them, but I think like, sometimes I feel like I'm a, volca like a volcano, right? And volcanoes eventually burn out. Every few years I erupt. And then I wait until I'm ready to erupt again. And then I do. And at one point I'll be done. I won't, I won't. The, the volcano will be tapped out. And is that waiting period when you write other things, like scripts, or do they take what a book takes from you? It doesn't sound like it. No, that's just work. Yeah. That's just a job. That's just a job. I, I mean, I'm skilled enough writer that I can write on demand any time. If, if you said, James can you write something for me right now and I'll give you this amount of money to do it? I'd be like, yeah, sure. But it's not going to probably be something like what I write when I write a book. Mm -hmm. um, if you want me to come up with an idea for something, I can probably do it. Um, but it's not, I'm not burying my soul. Yeah. I'm not trying to wreck you. I'm not trying to make you feel something deeply. I'm just doing a job. I'm doing what I get paid to do. Um, but when I write the books, the adult books that have my name on them, I try to wreck you one way or another. I want to enrage you or break your heart. I want you to feel great joy or I want you to despise what you're reading. That's the game. That's probably the perfect place to end. Cool. Because, yeah, the book, it did, it did a lot to me and I really enjoyed reading it and it it blew up a lot for me we'll leave it at that but thank you thank you thanks thank for having you. me thanks for reading it my pleasure thanks for chatting with me for a while it's great
things. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'm sure people have many comments and questions and feelings about James. I guess my main takeaway was, you know, how long do we punish people for for lying or making a mistake? And it really made me think about that. We had a great time. And I think maybe one of the ways you kind of recover from something like that is to make art that speaks directly to your mistake. And that's exactly what he did. So everyone can have their own opinions. Let us know. You can contact us on at Lit Up Show on Twitter or Instagram. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.